Hi listeners, Benjamin here. I mentioned last week that we weren't going to have a regular edition of the Nature podcast, but we're very lucky here at Nature as a bunch of our colleagues from across the globe have joined us in London. One of them is senior reporter Amy Maxman, who's based in San Francisco, and she's joined me in the studio for a quick news chat. Amy, our first story today is uh, is about Ebola. And uh, and listeners, I'm sure you remember the big West African outbreak that went on between 2014 and 2016, which had a significant death toll and economic impact, particularly in Liberia, Sierra Leone and Guinea. But Amy, there's not been so much news coverage of what is the second largest outbreak, and that's currently going on in Central Africa, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC. And, and that started in August 2018. What's going on there at the moment? Yeah, so as of the 11th of March, it's at 925 cases and 584 deaths. So as we're approaching 1,000, most researchers are really worried. And some of them are saying it's time for the WHO to sound their highest kind of global alarm, which is called a public health emergency of international concern. Well, how does this outbreak compare to the one that went on in West Africa? Well, that one was far larger. However, It also went on for longer, so we'll see how this one goes. What's worrisome is that although, you know, if you look at the situation report put out by the World Health Organization regularly, it does seem like, okay, in recent weeks, there's maybe fewer cases than there were in weeks prior. However, epidemiologists are worried not simply because of the case numbers per week, but they're worried because of other numbers they look at as well that make them think that maybe the virus is spreading within communities and going undetected for a long time. That means people pass it to one another before they come in, get isolated in a clinic and stop transmitting it. Right. And uh, what are these other numbers showing? So, for example, in February, nearly half of the people who died from Ebola in the two cities that are hit hard right now, Butembo and Katwa, they were found dead within their communities. And that means they're not isolated in hospitals at the very late stages of the disease in the last few days and after death when viral levels are surging and they can pass it on to other people. Three quarters of those who are diagnosed with Ebola, they had not been previously identified and been under surveillance at the time when they reported their symptoms, which again means they were walking around and mixing with people. And then one official I spoke with at Doctors Without Borders, she pointed out a worrying number as well, which was that the death toll is somewhere around 60 percent. And that's despite the fact that care is much better for patients in this outbreak compared to the one before. There's experimental therapies, there's a vaccine, and yet we haven't really made a dent in that number. And that's because people are showing up late when somebody's in the very late stages. It's hard to save them. And why might that be? What these numbers are saying is that people are not going into clinics as soon as they show symptoms, which means they don't really trust Ebola responders. And when I spoke with a first responder who's a kind of a frontline worker on the ground in Butembo, he told me that they're being threatened every day. So in addition to at least three attacks so far on Ebola centers, he says that there's some areas where his team will be stoned, where they'll get little folded up pieces of paper that are death threats. Um, they've been assaulted. So all of this mistrust bodes really badly. And that also speaks to why there's people that are just found in their communities with Ebola. Well, clearly an awful lot going on then in in DRC. What needs to be done and by whom maybe to, to contain this outbreak? It's a very hard question. So when I was reporting this story, when I talked to Doctors Without Borders, one of the big groups treating people there, they had decided to withdraw from the area. You know, there's always some mistrust in Ebola outbreaks, but the fact that there's these sort of attacks going on eight months in 
they themselves said they're questioning themselves on how well they've communicated with people. And so they've decided to suspend their activities for now. I think um, other groups such as Lima were there. They've pulled out uh, the U.S., the U.K. They're not sending bilateral support there. So who's left? Uh, the WHO is there and the DRC Ministry of Health is there. Um, and they're worried. So they're looking for support from U.N. troops to maybe, you know, help secure their centers and also protect their people around their compounds. That's another fraught issue because you bring guns in and that might cause more mistrust. It's actually a genuinely very hard situation. There are some health policy analysts who are saying if WHO sounds this major alarm, there'll be this massive shift in support for the region. That's even controversial because uh, on the one hand, some people think that's sort of what turned things around in West Africa. On the other hand, people worry, well, what if this causes other countries to block borders, to block trade? And that could have all sorts of problems like depressing the economy, you know, when refugees flee, having them cross borders informally. And that could be a big problem. So it's actually not a simple answer. Well, Amy, let's move on to our second story in this extended news chat, and uh, and this is about HIV. Um, last week, we reported on the second instance of a very specific treatment for HIV that involved a stem cell transplant. Now there's been news of another type of treatment and one that's rather different. Yeah. So the first results were reported from a phase three clinical trial on some long-acting injectable drugs for HIV. And Researchers are saying this might herald a new era in HIV treatment in which rather than taking a handful of pills every single day, people could just take an injection of antiretroviral drugs once a month, and people are hoping to extend it to once every few months. And that would make this even closer to something that looks like a chronic disease that can be managed by going into a clinic a handful of times each year. Right. So um, as we know, antiretroviral therapies have existed for for a long time and are very good at controlling HIV infection. Um, What specific improvements does, does the injection have then? One of the thorniest problems in HIV has actually been adherence. So it might seem simple to take uh, some pills every day. It's kind of a lot to ask. And for some people, it's really hard. That could be people who live very far from clinics where they get the drugs, you know, every month or so. It could be people who might have substance abuse disorders or mental health issues or teenagers have a very hard time taking a pill every day. It's actually a huge challenge. Every day, those pills are suppressing the replication of the virus. So if you miss doses, the virus multiplies. You have a higher level of HIV within the body, and you can transmit it to somebody else easier. You can get sick. So it's actually a huge problem, and it has to do with the transmission and continuation of the epidemic as well. And so this trial has been done then comparing the injections to the antiretroviral pills. Uh, What did it show? They found that the injectables work as well as the pills. And what's more, at the end of this year-long trial, more than 85% of people who had been taking the injection said they preferred that regimen. So there's going to be some people that still prefer a pill to a shot, but the majority of people like shots. And so the idea isn't to rule one out for the other, but to give people an option. And what sort of difference might this make to people? So one of the lead investigators I spoke to Chloe Orkin at Queen's Mary University in London, she just said it's it's going to be a massive change in HIV. She felt like she's used to seeing people with HIV. And instead of being reminded 365 days a year that they have this disease, now it could be 12. And in the future, it could be even fewer. 
Well, phase three clinical trials are, are quite far along then, and to have what seems to be a successful one is, is seems to be a fairly big deal. What happens next? When can this sort of uh, be rolled out potentially to a, a wider group of people? The drug company that has sponsored the trials, they're called Vive. They will be submitting their results to the FDA. Maybe they already have the Food and Drug Administration. And they expect as early as next year to have a green light. And everyone I spoke to also pointed out, you know, these aren't perfect. There's some soreness at the site of injection. um, But there is a bunch of other long-acting HIV drugs in the pipeline. So these might just be the first round, just like, you know, we had the first HIV drugs in the 90s, and they've gotten better since then. So this is why people are saying it's kind of the beginning of a new era, not just these drugs, but what else is coming up. Well, let's move on to our final story this week. On Monday, President Donald Trump announced his proposed budget for fiscal year 2020. How might this affect science? So across the board, there's uh, mainly cuts for science. And remember, this is a proposed budget, so we have to see what Congress does with it. Uh, We were just talking about HIV, so maybe I'll jump in there. So President Trump, in his address to the nation, he had said that he wants to fight HIV at home in America and abroad. But his budget doesn't totally support that. There is an increase within the CDC for HIV, but it's at the expense of other programs. So there's an overall cut for the CDC. And he cut the National Institutes of Health funding across the board. And so that includes the institute that has HIV research. And he also made a massive cut to international programs that deliver HIV care. But moving on from HIV, to go back to National Institutes of Health, he puts a budget at $34.4 billion. That's roughly $5 billion below the current level. His budget request includes $7.1 billion for the National Science Foundation. That's 12% below 2019. $6.1 billion for the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. That's a 31% drop from the agency's current budget. NASA has just a 2% cut, but it's now down to $21 billion. There's going to be steady funds for human and robotic exploration of the moon, but there's cuts to astrophysics research and other areas of research within NASA. So swinging cuts across the board then, but uh, does, does anybody actually benefit from this proposed budget? The Food and Drug Administration does increase by $362 million, so that is an increase, and the plan furthers Trump's hopes to tackle opioid addiction. And also he he put in $55 million to speed digital health technologies. So that is a win. However, Steve Grossman, who's deputy executive director for the advocacy group Alliance for a Stronger FDA, he's pleased with that increase, but he didn't note that the details of the budget are unclear. So just as with the CDC getting more money for HIV, there were cuts to other programs. And what about other researchers? Do they share these concerns? So right, no, they're not happy at all. Uh, They're only holding out, hoping that Congress, like last year, doesn't go along with the whole budget. For example, Benjamin Krinsky, who is Associate Director for Legislative Affairs at the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, said, I think it would be a disaster for science if it was enacted. Right. Well, I mean, what happens next then, Amy? This is, as you say, a proposed budget. Um, what, What are the next steps? Soon, the Senate and House of Representatives will meet to discuss the proposed budget, and they'll decide which proposals to take forward. And researchers are, of course, hoping that just like last year, these cuts will mainly not be made. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining me. Listeners, for more on those stories, head over to nature.com slash news. That's it for this special extended news chat, and uh, we'll be back next week with a regular show.